We are spending uh, the first part of our summer uh, in these letters uh, dictated by Jesus uh, to his church around the world, uh, words that still speak powerfully to us uh, here in Tallahassee in the 21st century. And so would you join me in Revelation chapter 3? I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and uh, then I will read to verse 13. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. So that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem. Which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, would you give us those ears uh, to hear what the Spirit continues to say to your church? Would you help us to come to these words trusting that they are not just old words written down a long time ago, distant from our lives, distant from us as a church? Would you help us to know that your spirit is active and speaking even now to us? Would you help us respond to his voice? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us humility? Would you open our hearts to the seed of your word that it may be planted and bear fruit for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you feel... When you see an envelope stamped with the word confidential. Or how do you feel when you see a door with the word restricted tacked on it? Well, if you're like me, it makes you curious, right? I want to know what's in that envelope. I didn't care before. I didn't care if it's just a plain manila envelope. I don't care. But if you put a red stamp that says confidential on it, all of a sudden I care. I want to know what's in that envelope. I want to know what's behind that door. Because we all long to be on the inside. We all have a desire to be on the inside of something. It's there in our stories The the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been playing in my house recently. 
And part of what drives the drama in stories like that is levels of security clearance, right? The drama is created around who knows what, who has access to secret information about covert missions. And that is dramatic for us because we all long for access. We all long for access to something significant. To be on the inside of something important. And in our text for this morning, Jesus offers himself to his church as access. He offers himself as access. He has a key, right? And he opens and he shuts. Excuse me. And he offers this access as comfort to those who are hurting. He offers this access as strength to those who are weak. He offers this access as motivation for those who must endure, those who must hold fast in a difficult situation. In other words, this access that Jesus offers isn't just interesting information. It is life-changing. And it is life-sustaining. So I want us to get curious this morning. I want us to see the word confidential stamped on the envelope and become curious. And I want us to ask two questions of this text. First, what kind of access does Jesus offer? And second, how should we live in response to what he offers? So first of all, what? What kind of access? And to answer that question, we need to meet Shevna. Shevna was one of these guys who carried around really large, big key rings with lots of keys on it. And, and he did that not because he's a, he was a janitor, but because he was a steward. Uh, stewards were important. They were kind of like cabinet positions in the administrations of ancient kings. And Shevna was on the cabinet. He was in the administration of Hezekiah, the king of Israel, the ruler of God's people. And because of the keys that he had, he was the most powerful man. Apart from the king, he was the most powerful man in the nation. Because his keys meant that he controlled who came in and out of the capital city, Jerusalem. He controlled who came in and out of the temple precinct. He controlled who came in and out of the palace. And most especially, he controlled who came in and out of the treasury. He had the keys to Fort Knox, in other words. But the prophet Isaiah had something to say about Shebna. This is in Isaiah chapter 22. He says that God is unhappy with Shebna and that God was going to remove him and replace him with a man named Eliakim. And he says about Eliakim, he will be given the key of the house of David. And he shall open, and no one shall shut. And he shall shut, and no one shall open. Sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? It's verse 7. It's verse 7 of our text here in Revelation chapter 3. 
Jesus is claiming for himself the role of God's chosen steward. Only he is even better than Eliakim. He's an even better steward than Eliakim because his keys not only open the treasury of Hezekiah, his keys open the treasury of God. He provides access to God and his house. Do you notice how at the end of the text in verse 12, we're talking not about the palace of an earthly king. We're talking about the temple. The earthly connection to the palace of the heavenly king. That's the kind of access that Jesus offers. He puts us inside of the kingdom of God. He opens for us the agenda and the resources And we were made for that. We were made for that access. We breathe for that purpose. The reason we live is to draw life from God and to participate in His mission for the world, for His creation. And Jesus provides us access for that. Remember Shevna, the rejected steward? He was rejected for an odd reason. He was rejected because he dug a tomb for himself. Now that wasn't the problem. The problem is where he dug that tomb. He dug the tomb inside the city of Jerusalem near the temple. Why was that a problem? Well, that was a grievous offense because the message of the city of Jerusalem, the message of the temple in Jerusalem, is that death doesn't belong near God. Graves don't belong in the presence of God. To be close to God is to be fully alive. That was the message of those places. And so to dig a tomb close to that place was to undermine that message that to be close to God is to be fully alive. And Jesus opens that fullness of life for us. That is the access He provides. He he gives us that life partially now. Partially in the present. What does he say to the church in Philadelphia? He has said, even though all of the people around you have rejected you, even though all of the people around you have shut you out, behold, I have set before you an open door. We have that partially now, but we have it more fully, more completely in the future. Where Jesus says that we will be welcomed, not just as guests, Verse 12. But we will be made a part of the structure of God's house. We will be built as load-bearing pillars in the house 
of God. With God's own name inscribed on us. God's mission, His city that He is building and bringing into the world inscribed onto us. That's how deeply we belong in Jesus. That is how fully we are and will be integrated into what God is making. What God is building for His glory and for the renewal of all creation. That's the access that Jesus offers now and in the future. This week, my family went to one of the public pools here in Tallahassee, and my kids had to experience the torture of the swim break. You know, where every hour they make the kids get out and sit on the side for 10 minutes. And it wasn't just my kids. There was a summer camp there. And so there were thousands of children, not literally thousands, but it felt like thousands of children sitting around the edge of the water, but not able to get in the water. And you could feel throughout that long eternity of 10 minutes, you could feel the the tension building and building. And then the lifeguard put the whistle on his lips and blew it. And everyone was liberated and rushed into the water. Jesus is that whistle. Jesus is that whistle. You see, apart from Him, in our sin, we are at a distance from the water. We are at a distance from the living water of God's presence. We are at a distance from the water of who we were made to be, the life that He designed for us. We were at a distance on the edge. And then when Jesus, hanging on the cross, says it is finished, and that curtain in the temple splits from top to bottom, He blew the whistle. He blew the whistle. He opened the door to the life that comes from God. And he liberated us to jump in. And his whistle is the only one that matters. His whistle is the only one that matters. Maybe when you hear me talk about the kingdom of God, being close to God, maybe you think, no way. I'm not good enough for that. Or or maybe you look around you and you think, no way, they're not good enough for that. They're not the right people for that. But when we do that, we're listening to the wrong whistles. There is only one whistle that matters. It is the sound that Jesus died to make. To bring us into God's kingdom. To bring us into the presence of God and the life that flows from that presence for His glory and for our good. Now, maybe that's a nice idea for you. Maybe you like that idea. But I said that this access that Jesus offers changes our lives, sustains our lives. And so let's go on and ask a second question. How does it change us? How do we live in response to this access that Jesus gives us? In verse 9, Jesus paints a scene. 
And he paints the scene of the enemies of his people coming and bowing down at the feet of his people. And once again, we are dealing with the language and the imagery of Isaiah, the prophet. Because this scene that Jesus paints, it is repeated again and again in the latter part of that Old Testament book. So, for example, Isaiah 60, verse 14. The prophet says, those who afflicted you will come and bow down at your feet. And they will say, behold, you are the city of the Lord. Hear the echo not only with verse 9, but also verse 12. Jesus is accomplishing that vision in his church. He is making that reality of our lives. But it is important to note that the bowing in this scene, it is not just the bowing of defeat. It is the bowing of worship. It's the bowing of worship, not of God's people, but the worship of God because of God's people and their witness to Him. This is this, these are scenes of conversion. The image, the vision is in Isaiah is that the nations, they will flow and they will bow down and they will become a part of the people of God. They will be brought into the city of God. They will be brought into his kingdom and all the benefits of his kingdom. This is the scene of conversion. And in fact, some commentators think that here in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus in verse 9, he's not just promising something for way out in the future. He is saying to the church in Philadelphia, you are about to see a movement of conversion of those who were enemies of Christ, who hated Christ and his church, turning, (coughs) repenting, believing and becoming a part of Christ and his church. So do you see what this does? Do you see what Jesus is doing with our life? The steward makes stewards to be provided access into the kingdom of God is to become access to the kingdom of God. Our lives as they witness to Jesus and what he has done, our lives are to become open doors. To the people around us who will come and see the beauty and the power of the gospel and join us in bowing down and worshiping the one who has given his life, the one who is holy and true, the one who opens the door of God's kingdom. Isn't this what Jesus told Peter? Do you remember that scene from the Gospels? Maybe some of you will remember it. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with this beautiful confession. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, not with, all right, A plus. You pass the test. We're done. Class over. No, he responds and he says, Peter, that's good. God has revealed that to you. Now you are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church 
and to my church I will give the keys of the kingdom. The steward makes us into stewards. The one who gives us access makes us access for others. The true Eliakim makes us little Eliakims, bringing, welcoming others into this life that we have been given. But how does that happen? How do our lives become stewards? How do our lives become access points into the kingdom of God? Well, verse 9, once again, when the enemies come and bow down, what do they find? What do they see? What do they learn? Jesus says they bow down and they learn that I have loved you. They learn that I have loved you. That's how. It's when we learn that. Our lives become stewards when we learn what those enemies will learn. Our response to this access that Jesus gives us should be to live as if we are loved. That's the response. That's how we become stewards. It is to live As if we are loved. And now that takes some holy and faithful imagination. It certainly did for the church at Philadelphia. Right? This church had not experienced the promise of their city. What did their city's name mean? You know it. City of brotherly love. Right? That was not the church's experience. They experienced the opposite. All the doors of privilege and power and acceptance had been slammed in their faces. But what does Jesus do? He gives them an imagination. And he says, no, 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 no. The door isn't shut. The only door that matters is wide open. And everyone will look back On your time of pain and suffering, everyone will look back and learn what? That you are loved. That you have been loved the whole time, even when it doesn't look like it. You see, this this passage wants to train us to interpret our lives according to the open door. We can see so many closed ones around us. And this passage wants to transform our minds and our eyes and our hearts to see our lives because of Jesus as an open door. To instead of seeing all of the insignificance and the smallness and the weakness and the failure to see in that, beyond that, That we are being loved the whole time, even when it doesn't look like it. I have an uncle who uh, is obsessed, uh, who loves um, really nice pens, like fountain pens. And, And he has developed an eye. 
for noticing the craftsmanship of those pens. So that he'll go to Goodwill, not the store, but the warehouse. And he will go to these massive bins full of junk. And he can pick out these pens that people have basically thrown away that are worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. We need to develop an eye like that for our lives, for each other. We need to learn to see the craftsmanship of the one who loves us. We need to learn to see, even in our weakness, even in our insignificance, even in our failures, that we are being loved by the one who is holy and true, by the one who has the key of David, the one who opens the kingdom of God to us. Can you see it? Do you notice his craftsmanship? Sit with this question this week. How would my life look different if I lived as if I were loved? What would be different if I lived as if I were loved by the one who is holy and true? What would that do to our anger? To our fear, to our disappointments, to our resentments, to our impulse to protect ourselves from others. What would your life look like if you lived as if you were loved? I have my keys with me up here at the pulpit this morning. I usually don't carry my keys with me, but I wanted to show you one. If you'll notice, I have a patriotic American flag-themed key, and this is not my particular key style, all right? If I were to pick out a key, I would not pick out this one. So why is it on my ring? Well, because it's the key to my parents' house. And here's the reality of that key is that there is a house that I don't own, There's a house that I didn't pay for that I can go to at any time and I can open the door and I can walk in and I can eat whatever's in the refrigerator. (laughs) Why? Why do I have that freedom of access? Because I'm loved. Because I am their son and I am loved. That's why I had that key on my ring. Jesus died to give us that kind of access. Jesus died and rose so that we could cry out our Father who is in heaven. And why do we have that key? Because we're loved as sons and daughters of the King. So the question is, will we live like it? Will you this week live as if you are loved? Let's pray.